Hi, this is Michael Kong of Phantom, the platform that solves the NFT scalability problem. I'm on the edge of NFT, the podcast that scales your NFT knowledge to infinity. Keep listening, everyone. Thank you. Hey there, NFT curious listeners. Stay tuned for today's episode and find out how Phantom overcame an early vaporware roadblock to become one of the most influential layer one solutions in the crypto game. Why Persistence drove today's guest to help deliver the phantom blockchain technology you know today. How that same patient persistence helped Animoca brands become a powerhouse in NFTs, the metaverse, and Web3. All this and more on today's episode. Enjoy. And remember, NFTLA is coming up March 28th to the 31st. It will be an unforgettable experience featuring the creme de la creme in the NFT space. Head on over to nftla.live to get your tickets as early as possible for the best pricing. And if you or someone you know wants to partner with us to co-create this special, unforgettable experience, there are still opportunities to get involved, but they're also going fast. So please reach out at contact at edgeofnft.com and jump in at edgeofnft.com slash discord for the latest details. Oh yeah. And don't forget, rate us on iTunes and Spotify right now. Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger, the podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features Michael Kong, CEO of the Phantom Foundation. Phantom is a highly scalable blockchain platform for DeFi, crypto dApps, and enterprise applications. It is designed to overcome the limitations of previous generation blockchain platforms. Phantom is permissionless, decentralized, and open source. Michael has a background in finance and IT from the University of Sydney, where he published papers on smart contract security. Previously, he was an engineer for Block 8, a software development company based in Sydney, and later started one of Australia's first hedge funds specializing in cryptocurrencies. Michael, you've been busy, and we're glad enough you got some time to hang with us today. Welcome to Edge of NFT. Yeah, thanks a lot, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity. Happy here to answer any questions you have, talk about Phantom Ecosystem, NFTs, and basically anything you like. Amazing, man. Yeah, we were just talking about it. you're based out of the Bahamas these days. Awesome to have you on East Coast time. It's rare that I get somebody actually here on the show with us on my time zone. Everybody's usually operating out of Pacific time, man. So good to have you here. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a better time zone as well for myself. Yeah, I dig it, man. It works. It's so much easier. Dude, we bring so many people on also from overseas, of course, and ends up being like super early in the morning. And we get some interesting conversations going when it's 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. someone's time, you know? So. Yeah. Good to have you fully present with us, man. We appreciate it. So look, Phantom is a massive undertaking, man. I mean, there's so much influence in the space now, so much momentum, so many cool things happening with it. Let's take a step back though and look into the history of the company. I mean, how did this idea come about and how did it end up becoming what it is today? Yeah. So as you mentioned in your intro, so in like late 2017, I started like creating a cryptocurrency hedge fund in Australia, one of the first we have a few people in traditional finance that were working at the ANZ Bank or the Australian New Zealand Bank. So they were running like the Global Markets Division. It's one of the, what we call like one of the big four banks in Australia. So just like in the US, you might have like Wells Fargo, 
JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs. It's kind of like the same category of banks, except for Australia. So I always wanted to start up a cryptocurrency hedge fund. I wanted to for like more than a year, but I wasn't able to fulfill the regulatory requirements because I didn't have a what's called an Australian financial services license in order to like run a fund, which is something that you need. And being at the time, my age, my early 20s, I wasn't able to get such a license, but I managed to partner up with people who did. And he also had a lot of connections in traditional finance and could basically raise money for the fund. And what we were doing there was managing like hedge funds money, institutional money, accredited investor money, but we were also advising on a variety of different projects as well. And one of the projects is this project called Phantom that originally came out of Korea. And so someone on the team knew this guy and who apparently had like a few PhD postdoctoral students, like postdoc PhD students, people who were apparently like associate professors at Yonsei University, which is one of these very technical universities in Korea. And he told us that he had an idea about creating like a new asynchronous technology. It's a new way of processing transactions in an asynchronous manner. And it was going to be faster and cheaper than Ethereum. And that they already had like a paper that they were writing and they already had what they called simulation code or a testnet on the development. And so back in late 2017, early 2018, it was during the ICO boom projects out of Korea that were very much infrastructure layer one based. There was a lot of hype around them. And also the backgrounds for these people that we were working with seemed to be very strong and they seemed to be like well credentialed and serious people in IT. So we started working with them, helping them with the ICO. So for example, like helping them fundraise, we put some of our own money in there. We worked on the legals. We worked on like the smart contract for the ICO. So we kind of like walked them through like the fundraising process. And it was one of the most successful ICOs in 2018. So it raised a bit over $40 million. But unfortunately, the team wasn't exactly honest about the technology they built. And they in reality didn't have anything. But fortunately at the time, Andre Cronier, that I'm sure like a lot of people in your audience know, he was involved from Phantom from the very beginning because he had found out about Phantom because he was working at Crypto Briefing at the time as one of their um, technology reviewer. And so he got into Phantom early on and was figuring out like what was happening. And then when we all realized that the technology didn't really exist, I was prepared to basically just like quit the project and say, I'm done with this. This is not good. But Andre said, no, no, no. I have some ideas about how we can achieve asynchronous technology. My background is in consensus technologies, whereas my background is not really in consensus. It's more to do with like virtual machine analysis, middleware development, like how smart contracts execute. So a bit like high up on the stack. So, but of course, Andre's background is in consensus technology. So he ended up suggesting a few ideas and we ended up hiring a new team and we got really, really lucky on our hires. And so that team started working on the real ABFT technology and took them a year and a half. But towards the end of 2019, on the 27th of December, 2019, we launched our mainnet. Since then, we started to get a bit of traction, more so on DeFi, beginning with a couple of DEXs, namely SpookySwap and SpiritSwap, which are forks of Uniswap and SushiSwap. And then that helped, and because those applications were really high quality, it helped attract more users, which helped attract more developers and sort of like with better market conditions as well, it really helped turbocharge growth for Phantom. So that's essentially what happened. And I can go a lot more detail if you like, that's the background. Dude, that's a saga, man. Holy cow. Yeah, I don't think I realized the full expanse of it, man. And it's amazing to be able to write that ship and get it pointed in a direction of productivity and real value creation. So yeah, kudos, man. Holy cow. Didn't realize that. Almost four years old now, actually. Yeah. So it's had a bit of a roller coaster, a lot of ups and downs, but on the whole right now, it's looking pretty good. So we're just going to keep building what we've been building, building out the technology from the ground up. 
improving execution of smart contracts, just going out there and trying to get as many users as possible in the ecosystem. Yeah, totally makes sense. And of course, you're on the edge of NFTs. So we want to delve into what our NFT curious listeners want to know about your NFT ecosystem on Phantom and how you look at NFTs. How do they fit into the picture? What are some of the unique superpowers that your system sort of opens up in terms of NFT possibilities? Yeah, sure. So I think Phantom has been known mainly as a DeFi chain at the moment. And I think that's for like a couple of reasons. One is that how Phantom initially got a lot of traction was via DeFi. So as I mentioned before, it began with a couple of DEXs and then a lot of the functionality that you have on Ethereum to do with like DeFi, so lending and borrowing and auto compounding, all those sorts of protocols. They're the sort of applications you see on Phantom. And that's why like Phantom is one of the biggest TVL chains in the world or has you know the amount of total value locked on chain, which is almost like $8 billion. And the other reason is that people like Andre and others, you know, have been building a lot of DeFi applications on Phantom and they have a lot of traction. And so that helps like gain traction for Phantom. But on the NFT side of things, I think we actually have been a bit lacking compared to like other layer ones, to be honest. And I think that's because there's been a lot of focus on DeFi. So I also want to have more focus on NFTs. So what we're doing on NFTs is that, well, Phantom essentially is like a generalized smart contract platform, right? So the way that you write, compile and deploy smart contracts on Ethereum works the same way as on Phantom. That means that the use cases that you see on Ethereum, such as DeFi and NFTs, can apply in exactly the same manner as on Phantom, except with faster and cheaper consensus, because we can process those transactions in an asynchronous rather than, a, rather than a synchronous manner, which gets you a lot better performance. So on the NFT side of things, we're telling people there's a lot of NFT marketplaces out there. There's one that the foundation put out that we want to give to the community called RTN. There's like NFT key, which is really, really fast to put on multiple chains. There's PainSwap, which is a native NFT platform. There's like Phantom Opera. There's like a whole bunch of like different NFT platforms that now are starting to generate more and more sales over time. And people are creating more and more sort of like NFT collections, kind of like what you see on other chains. We've also got a few games that are developing as well. The foundation is investing in some NFT projects that we think are high quality and can help build the phantom NFT ecosystem. And we also got like a couple of metaverses as well, one of them being 8-bit metaverse on phantom that is starting to get a bit of traction. We've seen quite a few land sales nowadays. So I think the focus is more shifting towards like NFTs on phantom now. And we're starting to just kind of see that traction pick up even in just like the last month. And so the foundation is there helping to support people with technical integration, launching on chain to help people with marketing, promoting for example, on Twitter and Discord and other social mediums. On Twitter, for example, we have over 380,000 followers. And we've also have like an NFT incentive program, kind of like the DeFi incentive program that we have at the moment, where NFT project gets a lot of traction, say it's a game. We want to help and support that by providing essentially like an, an FTM grant, which you can use to help like build further up, build out your NFT application, but for example, by incentivizing staking or incentivizing users to join your platform. So we're offering like a lot from the foundation, I think, to help grow the NFT ecosystem on Phantom. And I think people should just try out Phantom for yourself. I talk how it's faster and cheaper than Ethereum. Don't believe me. Just go to MetaMask, connect with the Phantom network, do some transactions and just see how fast it is and see how much it costs. And hopefully it's a great user experience. That's why I say to people. That's really great. Just kind of on that particular point. So it's faster. It's very similar in terms of the core functionality is Ethereum. When people ask you, how does it compare to Avalanche and Polygon and Solana, how do you differentiate Phantom in terms of its interoperability for NFT projects? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So compared to the other like alternative layer ones out there, compared to Ethereum, well, the first thing to mention is that I think one big reason why a lot of these other layer one smart contract platforms have been getting a lot of traction is because Ethereum is just not scalable. And so the cost per transaction is based on supply and demand. It's a pricing mechanism. So the supply is like the network throughput or how many transactions or how much computational power can you get through the network in a given period of time. And then on the demand side is like how much usage is there for that computational power over that same given period of time. And so Ethereum, because it doesn't have much network throughput, but it's huge demand to use Ethereum, that's driven up the price of executing transactions tremendously. So for example, on Ethereum, you can do smart contract transactions, which just the other day, I, I did some smart contract transactions and one of them was 400 US dollars. And then another one was 100 US dollars. And then another one was 75 US dollars. And so on Phantom, you probably have paying the equivalent of like, say, 75 cents or 50 cents or 25 cents or for more basic transactions, just a few cents when you're just transferring like one asset to another on chain. And so that's led to a tremendous growth on Phantom as well as the other layer ones. So how does Phantom compare to the other alternative layer ones? Well, if I can go through the three names that you listed there, well, in terms of like Avalanche, I think with the current technology that Phantom has, we can do the same number of transactions as Avalanche and have a fraction of the fees. For example, like there are some times where you execute a smart contract on Avalanche and you're paying a few dollars for that transaction. On Phantom, you may be paying 20 to 10% of the transaction fee uh, compared to like what you're paying on Avalanche. And this is when Avalanche and Phantom are processing the same number of transactions. So it's not like I'm saying that Phantom was processing fewer transactions. That's why it's cheaper. No, no, we're processing the same amount. So we've seen that like empirically play out. <laughs> and it has to do with kind of the asynchronous processing of transactions that we've done on-chain. And that's just like what we have right now. So in the future, we're going to have much better performance because we have uh, performance improvements in consensus, performance improvements in minimizing the amount of data. For example, we've got like SnapSync coming out, which is like a variation of like how uh, SnapSync works on Ethereum, which from our testing can minimize data by a factor of 85 to 90% on-chain, as well as improve performance when it comes to consensus. Uh, we're also working on a new middleware execution stack that replaces kind of the EVM because a lot of performance issues there with a lot of different technology stack. And so compared to Polygon, well, Polygon is honestly like it's a layer two, it's not a layer one, and it's a lot more centralized than Phantom is. And with Solana, I don't really know what's going on with Solana's technology, but they've had like seven or eight outages already in the past six months. So Phantom hasn't had any outages except for one that happened in February, 2021. And that's because it went out for 12 hours because there was a edge case and consensus. It was very unlikely for that event to happen, but obviously given enough time, basically like when one of the nodes was trying to decide which message, which transaction to pass through to another node ahead of another one, it kind of like stored a bit essentially. And so there was a bugging consensus. We fixed that. And since we fixed that from a year ago, we've had no network outages. It's been up a hundred percent of the time. And so for us, it's always very developer focused. It's always testing things tremendously, which is why we've been testing our SnapSync a lot because we don't want anything to go wrong. We don't want you know, like people's funds to be missing. We don't want the network to go down at all. So for us, it's a tremendous amount of testing. And so I want the developers to test as much as possible before launching something into the mainnet. So that's kind of like how we compare. Beautiful. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's really useful to have those specifics. Um, People are looking at all sorts of options and launch to launch their NFTs to do sort of DeFi projects. And sometimes those simple questions don't always have the clearest answers until you talk to somebody from the platform. 
So we've heard of something that you guys like to call consensus as a service for distributed ledgers. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that is and how that gets used? Yeah. So like an idea that we had about like a year and a half ago, I'd say, is separating out the consensus that we have and connecting it to like multiple different chains. So for example, like we connected it to like Cosmos's SDK, we connected it obviously to EVM. And so we're not really focused on so much on the consensus as a service at the moment, to be honest. We're just really focusing on the main phantom chain that we have at the moment, which is EVM based, which allows you to process smart contracts in a similar manner to like how it works on Ethereum at the moment. Like technically speaking, the consensus that we've developed, it's really, really like what it is, is just a series of algorithms combined together that allow you to get the final ordering of transactions. Because one of the key properties for all blockchains is that you need to have 100% of certainty between all the nodes in the network from the very beginning of time to the most recent transaction. It can't be 99.99% correct. It has to be exactly 100%. Otherwise, people aren't aware about like what assets they own on chain and what transactions are done in the past. There's some inconsistencies. So you can't have any of that. So what the developers have spent a tremendous amount of time building and still developing is how do you get that final ordering of transactions across all the nodes, having it fault tolerant. So if a few nodes fail in the network, the consensus still continues. There's no network outages. That's what I mean. Was occasionally computers fail and computers in the network go off from time to time. So you need to make sure that your consensus algorithm keeps running, even with those sorts of failures as the nodes like restart and, and participate in consensus once again. So what we've built is just these like series of algorithms. So these series of algorithms can be plugged into different software. Technically, it's not even a blockchain in and of itself. It's just that we've we've chosen to integrate it with a DAG, obviously, which is a type of blockchain. Uh, well, actually, a blockchain is a type of DAG, so like a type of like network structure. And so you can connect it to like different services. But because we had like limited amount of resources, we didn't want to maintain a chain that was integrated with Cosmos, as well as maintain an EVM chain, as well as maintaining different chains. So we've kind of narrowed down our focus and just having our consensus technology connected to the EVM. Well. For the EVM for now, but we're going to switch that over to a different kind of smart contract execution engine, but really just focusing on one chain, which is the main net that we have at the moment, which is a chain that everybody uses when they talk about the phantom ecosystem. Yeah, man. So many different interesting aspects of the whole thing. And I wanted to dig in on one particular one also. And I guess we had talked about it before. I wanted to make sure I, I said it right. La, La Kisis, right? So did I get it? Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Very cool. And so a BFT and ABFT consensus mechanism, right? And so what are some of the key features around that? Also other key features around Phantom, like what else can we elevate about how that piece of the puzzle works? Yeah. So the reason why like Phantom is able to get like faster and be able to process transactions faster and cheaper than say Ethereum really has to do do with what you mentioned, like asynchronous transactions. So what we mean by asynchronous transactions is that like when a transaction is submitted to network, it doesn't wait in the queue. So it gets passed to different nodes in the network to be confirmed by those like validator nodes. And then eventually after it achieves two thirds plus one of the total validating power of the network on Phantom, it gets appended to the ledger. And so the transaction is finalized and it's finalized after a single block. So we call that finalization on that transaction confirmation on chain, we say that it's that finality is deterministic. In other words, that as soon as the transaction is confirmed in a single block, that's final. So you don't have to wait for like six blocks or five or six blocks to pass on say Ethereum or Bitcoin in order for your transaction to be confirmed. One block confirmation is enough. This is in comparison to say like Ethereum where because transactions get processed one at a time, you have to wait for a block to be mined. And then while you're waiting for a block to be mined, transactions get queued in the mempool. 
And then those transactions get added into the next block until that block is full. And so if that next block is full, you got to wait again for the next block after that in order to be included in the block. And then once you're included into that block, just having one block confirmation on chain isn't good enough because those sorts of blockchains that are proof of work based, they follow what's known as the longest chain rule. If you just have one block confirmation, there is a decent chance that another part of the network may actually have a longer chain. And because of the way the consensus algorithms work, it would decide to go with a chain that has more blocks in it than the other chain. So if you're included into a shorter chain compared to like a chain with more number of blocks, your transaction might not actually be included into the final ledger. And so that's why you need to wait for additional block combinations afterwards to really give you that like certainty that you really are included on the chain. So with Phantom, you don't have to wait for other transactions to be processed. Your one gets processed right away. And as a result of that, you have more network throughput, which means that you have more network capacity, which means that you have lower transaction prices on average. So for example, like block times on uh, Phantom right now are like 0.8 seconds to 0.9 seconds. And so once you include like latencies and, and other factors and all that, your transaction can be confirmed in like one to two seconds on average. And instead of paying transaction fees that say like $100 to execute a smart contract, you may be paying like 50 cents or 70 cents in comparison. And so that's the key difference between, say, uh, Phantom and Ethereum and other like chains that are out there. The, the real difficulty of processing transactions asynchronously is that it's very easy to actually submit a transaction asynchronously to the network. What's difficult is how do you get the final ordering of transactions? Because your nodes have to be consistent 100% across all the ledgers, as I mentioned before. And so that's what the development team has spent a lot of time uh, figuring out. So combining like a series of steps a series of algorithms to kind of get that like final ordering of transactions. You have to follow like a number of different steps when you're doing your consensus to make sure that number one, you do get that consistency across all nodes. And number two, that is fault tolerant. That is part of the network fails. It doesn't bring the whole network down. As long as one node continues running in the network or two nodes continues running in the network, that's good enough for consensus to keep working until the other nodes come online again. So that's kind of at a high level how the consensus technology works. Yeah, that is a crash course in blockchain technology that someone could probably pay a lot of money for. <laughs> Clearly, there's some really impressive technology here that folks need to take advantage of when it comes to minting NFTs and doing interesting NFT projects. And it sounds like you alluded to it earlier, Phantom is doing some unique things to support that ecosystem to encourage folks to onboard and give Phantom a try. Could you elaborate on that a little bit more for us? Yeah, so there's like the Phantom ecosystem, which consists of like a lot of developers from the community just building all sorts of different applications for Phantom. So like you see on Ethereum, you have applications related to DeFi, NFTs, you have users who are using those sorts of applications, trading amongst one another. It's the same sort of like ecosystem that you have on Phantom, the same kind of like application, except just running on faster and cheaper consensus and being able to process transactions more efficiently. And Separate to that, you've got the Fanta Foundation, which originally raised a bunch of money in the ICO, has used those funds to build the platform that we have at the moment, and whose mandate is to kind of like support and grow the ecosystem by focusing first and foremost on continuous development to the consensus, to improving the execution of smart contracts, but also to engage directly with people in the community. So we've been getting a lot of inbound leads these days because Phantom has been getting quite a bit of traction out there. And a lot of those leads have to do with NFTs as well, because I've been coming on podcasts such as yourselves and others, which is great, kind of you know, spreading the word, talking about the Phantom ecosystem, telling people to come and try it out. And so you know, that has helped us get a lot of inbound leads for people who are thinking of developing NFT projects, or maybe who have already launched NFT projects on other chains, 
and then want to experiment on the phantom. So what the foundation offers is assistance in terms of like technical integration. So if you need some help, like launching on the phantom chain, we can help you with that. We have a team of developers that can help you launch on chain. I can ask any of your technical questions that you have. We also have marketing support. So putting out like links to NFT applications that are deploying on chain, new releases or announcements from those NFT projects, as well as like we have an ecosystem spotlight our series of articles going out. So this is where we like interview like a particular project, so like an NFT project, and they kind of talk about themselves. They kind of talk about the project that they're doing, and they kind of like link to what they're doing and what people can try out on their projects. So we've been doing a lot of like technical integration help, marketing help, as well as investing in some NFT projects as well. So the foundation has been investing in a number of different projects on DeFi and NFTs. So for example, we invested in a game that's been launched by one of our validators, Tank Wars. So this is like a kind of a tank-based game where it's kind of like World of Tanks where you battle like one tank after the other, and then you can earn rewards, you can upgrade your tank, you can buy all sorts of like different add-ons for your tank. And all of this data is kind of codified in NFTs. And then people can trade those NFTs on directly one another or using like an existing NFT platform, like a few of them I mentioned before. And so the Fanta Foundation is invested in the token that runs on that ecosystem because we think first and foremost, it is great investment. And also we want to help that project kind of like grow and gain traction for the Phantom ecosystem. Because if projects do well on the Phantom ecosystem, then we're achieving our objective because it helps attract more developers, more users, which leads to this network growth that kind of takes off. And that's exactly what happened at the beginning when it came to DeFi with SpiritSwap and SpookySwap. They kind of kicked off a lot of growth that happens on-chain. And so we want to see the same thing on Phantom as well with regards to NFTs. We want to see those killer games, those killer applications that can really turbocharge growth. Yeah. For the community. So our incentives are directly aligned with projects succeeding on-chain. And so that's why we want to work with the projects that are part of the ecosystem. No, that's great. We've had Guild of Guardians on the show and Splinterlands and Alien Worlds. And the amount of transaction value that these play to earn games do is, is super, super impressive. I'm looking at Tank Wars right now. It looks like a really fun game. And I assume there's probably some good conversations happening with existing play to earn games and guilds and getting them over to the Phantom ecosystem. Is there any sort of special partnerships that you can kind of sort of let us know about? We always love to get cutting edge news if we can out of our guests. Yeah, well, you mentioned like gaming guilds and that's something that we're also very much interested in for the fandom ecosystem because gaming guilds, I think, are central for helping games succeed on chain. Like we've kind of seen a lot with Axie. <laughs> so we have invested in the seed round for a gaming guild called Balfazar, which is this project that is backed by some people that I know from a big company in Australia that's also based in New York called Finder.com. And Finder.com is like a consumer like intelligence or consumer marketing-based application. It's pretty famous in Australia. So I know the founder of that company, Fred, and he's been very bullish on cryptos and blockchain technology for like years now. And so one of the projects that he's backing is that gaming kill called Balfazar, which has been very active on Axie Infinity. And so we made a seed investment into them. There should be an article coming out profiling kind of the Phantom ecosystem and what they want to do in the Phantom ecosystem. And also we're going to be working with them hopefully in the near future about how do they deploy the gaming guilds to connect with games that exist on the Phantom ecosystem, which to be honest, like there's a bit of traction for games on the Phantom ecosystem, but it's not that much at the moment. And so I think first we need to grow the number of users on games. 
was that with like Tank Wars and, and others that are under development. And then once we have more users using those platforms, I think gaming guilds can become a bit more useful in the Phantom ecosystem. Yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. But impressive. You partnered with Animoca Brands on that round, from what I can tell. And we announced recently that we're part of the Animoca Brands Brink Launchpad program. And this is cutting edge news. Yatsu is going to be one of the keynote speakers at NFTLA. So you're definitely uh-huh. in great company. Yeah, that's great to hear. And unfortunately, like I won't be able to attend myself in person for NFT LA, but there is like, I think one or two people from the Phantom team that will definitely be there and presenting and just going around meeting people. So we're really looking forward to it um, towards the end of March. We might awesome. send you a Phantom text message that sends you on a wild goose chase that ends up in NFT LA though. So watch out for that. Yeah, maybe got diverted or something. We got to at least send him a pizza, like spelled out NFT LA in the pizza or something like that. There you go. Man, I'm looking forward to Yetsu, by the way, because we're in this accelerator, we get to have some private sessions with a lot of different mentors and got to attend a sort of an AMA and also lecture with Yat the other evening. And man, that guy goes way deeper than I ever thought. Uh, really cool guy. You've talked about, gosh, a lot. If I had to pick a theme, and it's a theme of ours here for what's going on with Phantom and what you're focused on, it's co-creation, right? And, and collaboration. Yeah, you're definitely investing in the folks that are investing in Phantom and trying to sort of build something together. Love hearing about all the stuff you're doing in gaming and NFTs. Now, I'm sure this is part of the answer to this upcoming question, but could you give a little more specific on what's the agenda going forward with Phantom? What's on your roadmap? Well, there's a lot of things on the roadmap. So I kind of like to talk about like what's on the technology roadmap and what's in the ecosystem roadmap. So on the technology roadmap, in the immediate future, we've got two things on the table. One of them is the launch of SnapSync for validator nodes. So SnapSync is, we have the same name for it as what exists for Ethereum, which is essentially, you don't need to have all the data related to a transaction in every single block in order to participate in consensus. You only need to have like the blocks themselves and like the headers as well. So knowing like which block came after the other one or the timestamps associated with the blocks. Because that's all you need in order to confirm transactions, you can minimize the amount of data storage that you need for these nodes to confirm transactions. So what we've been doing is working on our own version of being able to do that on Phantom. And we've had to build a lot of that from scratch because Ethereum's consensus is synchronous, whereas like Phantom's is asynchronous. So we've had to build like our own consensus algorithm to work with this version of SnapSync. And we call it uh, the Lacassus Light Repeater or the LOR. And so that technology is already done. That technology has been used on the testnet. And right now at the moment, we've been able to sync up nodes pretty fast and minimize the data storage by I think around like 85 to 90%. So right now that's what's happening in the testnet. And after we do some further testing, we'll do a release to the mainnet as well. So we've opened that on the testnet for like beta testing. So anybody can go to our Go Opera repository and download the latest version to run on the testnet and to see how it works. So that'll be a massive improvement because right now the chain data size is very big. It's over like 2.5 terabytes. And so like having that amount of chain data is a limiting factor for like the growth of the chain because the more transactions you have on chain, the bigger it gets. And if you're not pruning it or somehow reducing that data load, it'll become more and more unfeasible to be able to run a node. So we've been able to reduce that down to around 250 to 300 gigabytes, which is a massive improvement. So that's one thing we're working on in the immediate future. The other thing we're working on is that, as I've mentioned before, like on different presentations, we have a research team at the University of Sydney, 
And we're now building our own in-house team to do further this research and development in improving like the execution of smart contracts. So there are a lot of disadvantages with like how the EVM currently works, how the smart contract execution works that we have that say Avalanche has that Ethereum originally developed. And it is like a great smart contract execution engine to begin with because it was started in 2014, first ones to build it. So it's quite innovative and it does work, but there are a lot of performance limitations. And one of the performance limitations has to do with your ability to read and write transactions from the EVM on chain. So as the chain grows, it takes longer and longer and longer to execute smart contracts, basically. So what we want to do is we want to replace the data structure of how that reads and writes are done with what's known as flat storage, which is basically like a very straightforward data structure where it's a key value pair, which means that you're able to do and reads and writes quite fast because things are kind of indexed. It's kind of like, to use an analogy, it's kind of like when you're looking through what's in like a big book. So you might have all these volumes. Okay, you could search for all of them by just turning one page after the other, after the other. That's really, really slow. You could also be able to categorize them in different ways where you have to kind of like follow like a tree-based structure, or you could have like an index where you just know exactly where to look up from the beginning and you can just go to that book and go to that specific page in that specific volume. And so that's kind of like what we've done right now, replacing how reads and writes are currently done with the EVM. So that thing is done. It's currently um, private testnet but we also want to make improvements on that performance of reads and writes on chain. So right now we can get a performance of about four times faster doing these reads and writes compared to like smart contracts using the EVM in the standard setting, which means that more complicated smart contracts to do more reads and writes will have better performance improvements compared to the existing system. So that's something that's under testing and development that we want to make improvements to as well. In terms of future development, we're starting to explore ideas around charting. We're starting to explore ideas around maybe we should break up the phantom chain into different types of chains where one is just focused on EVM execution or smart contract execution. Another chain is focusing on account to account processing of transactions because that is 10 times faster when you don't have to use the EVM. And we're also thinking about ideas of sharding. So like as Ethereum and other projects have talked about, bringing up the computation across different nodes so not all nodes in the network have to process all transactions because that's the limiting factor on blockchain um, scalability. <laughs> And which is kind of like the holy grail of blockchain scalability if someone can solve it. Nobody solved it yet. It's very experimental, but we're actively looking into that as well. And on the ecosystem roadmap, well, it's just continuing the growth that we're kind of seeing on-chain. So we've got a lot of momentum behind us. We've got a lot of growth on DeFi. We're starting to get more and more traction on NFTs. And for us, it's just engaging on the business, the business development side of things with more and more projects, just getting out there, doing more marketing and PR, like these sorts of podcasts. And just really trying to encourage as many people to use Phantom as possible and just trying to help as many people to help on board as many people on Phantom as possible and focusing on specific categories like you see on Ethereum, metaverses, gaming, interesting NFT collections, some interesting like sponsorships as well. It's nothing like really like sophisticated or anything like that. It's all pretty straightforward strategy. It's just a matter of execution and patience in our opinion. Yeah, man. There's a whole heck of a lot in there. And uh, that roadmap <laughs> is beautiful and beautifully complex, like the New York City subway system. I'm imagining it is. a very roadmap with some very clear destinations that has many lanes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to it, man. So much goodness in there, Michael. Thanks so much for sharing all of that with us and the level of detail that you did. I don't think there's any easy way for folks to access that information so clearly as you've articulated it. So thank you. We interrupt the Edge of NFT podcast to reveal one of the best kept secrets in the NFT space right now. 
The Koi Network. If you are a creator or a builder or an investor in groundbreaking projects, you need to dive into Koi ASAP. Why? Imagine a new internet where each time your posts get viewed on TikTok, Instagram, or Twitter, you earn rewards. Koi's revolutionary decentralized infrastructure scales this new internet to the whole globe, transforming attention into an asset and every creator into an earner, all without the expensive high-energy usage of old-school blockchains. Here is the best way to learn more and earn more by becoming a founding member of the growing Koi community. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can publish your first Koi NFTs for free and start earning Koi today. The new internet is coming. Don't you want to be valued on it? Hey, we want to take a moment and shift gears just a smidge now at this point in the episode. We like to do this every time and ask a set of 10 questions of you called Edge Quick Hitters. Basically, it's a fun and quick way to get to know you a little bit better. We're looking for short, single word or, or few word responses, and we can dive in a little deeper if we want, but you ready to jump in on these bad boys? Yeah, sure. Go for it. Yeah. All right. Let's have some fun with it. Cool. Question number one, what is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? Game Boy Color. Oh, nice. Cool. Question number two, what is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? Probably a, a pen to someone else at school at a bit of an inflated price. Nice. There you go. Now, was it it kind of like you're selling them because they don't have pens and you're sort of exploiting that need? Yeah. This this, this (laughs) is probably when I was in like seven or eight years old. Yeah. Nice. Oh, you need a pen. Well, I have a collection of pens. Oh, you want one? Okay. Can I have your lunch money so I can go out and buy a meat pie? Yeah. Nice. nice. Oh, you need a blockchain. (laughs) I have a blockchain for you. There it is. Question number three What is the most recent thing you purchased? What's recent thing? I don't really buy many things. Probably like new clothes when I was in Miami last month. Yeah. Okay. Got that Miami style. He might have just accidentally bought a pizza too. We're not sure. We'll get it on that. (laughs) Cool. Question four. What is the most recent thing you sold? Most recent thing I sold? Not really sure. I don't really like sell stuff these days. Yeah. Okay. I just like yield farm and just like work with management really, really. Like my life's kind of boring. Oh, good, man. We need to focus there, but... That's awesome. Question five, what is your most prized possession? Well, apart from like my girlfriend, like in terms of physical items, probably my phone because it's just, I'm really dependent on my phone. Just like always like answering messages and yeah, just like a big part of my life. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, as it is for so many people. Question number six. Okay. If you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical service and experience that's currently for sale, what would that be? If I had enough money, it would be like a trip to space. I mean, that's something that's very unique that not many people have done before. When you listen to people who have gone to space, it just gives you like another perspective. It's like a really, really unique experience. So that is something that I would love to do at least some point in my life. (laughs) I feel like I saw a headline about like changing the trip to space changes people's brain chemistry in some interesting way. I didn't read the article yet, but I saw that like in Apple News or something like that earlier this week. Yeah, there's a lot of changes that happen to you when you're up a few hundred miles in space, just looking at, I don't know, blackness. <laughs> yeah, something special about it. Question number seven. If you could pass on one of your personality traits to the next generation, what would it be? It would just become like persistence, really. Kind of like learning my life. Nothing's ever like really easy or straightforward. But people kind of like joke about it when it comes to investing that people think that just like a straight line off when in reality... It's like a big roller coaster. I think life is just a big roller coaster. So you just have to kind of like deal with it 
and just realize that sometimes there are going to be bad moments sometimes, and it could just be unlucky moments in your life. It could just be something related to work or relationships. And you just need to kind of like persevere. Otherwise you just like won't achieve anything really. Yeah. Bumps in the road, right? Make you stronger for sure. Question number eight, if you could eliminate one of your personality traits from the next generation, what would that be? Not getting enough sleep. So I think since I was a teenager, I've haven't like been really terrible trying to get up like early in the morning and that's pretty bad for your health so uh, people should sleep a decent amount <laughs> you wake up too early or you're not good at waking up early and you stay uh, up too I'm late not, i'm not good at like waking up too early or i just get like taken in by like work or just whatever i'm doing yeah. at the time and then yeah. i just like don't sleep which is not good <laughs> yeah man it messes you up it does it does indeed <laughs> Got to keep them circadian rhythms uh, consistent. So yeah. question number nine, what did you do just before joining us podcast? Made a cup of tea <laughs> for the podcast. Yeah. All right. There it is. And last one, man. Question 10, what are you going to do next after the podcast? Probably just go back and do some more work and answer some messages. <laughs> get back to it. Oh, cool. Man. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get there it. Okay. Well, that's it. That's edge quick hitters. 10 questions. Thanks so much for uh, indulging us there a little bit. With almost $25 billion in sales in 2021, there's no denying the NFT market is on fire. But what many investors don't realize is demand has skyrocketed for another asset, thanks in part to this NFT boom. The asset I'm talking about is multi-million dollar blue chip art. And it's been so hot, a Banksy offering on the Masterworks platform recently sold for $7.4 million. And what's even more incredible is... All shares of this Banksy offering sold out in just three hours. According to Masterworks, similar works by Banksy saw a price appreciation of 19.9% from 2007 to 2020, outpacing the S&P 500 by nearly a factor of two over the same time period. And Masterworks investors recently saw a 32% annualized appreciation net of fees from the sale of another Banksy painting called Mona Lisa. To discover how to buy into similar offerings by Banksy, Picasso, and Monet for a fraction of the cost of the entire painting, visit edgeofnft.com masterworks. That's edgeofnft.com masterworks. For important disclosures, visit masterworks.io disclaimer. Hey there, are you in the Edge of NFT Discord? If not, it's time to hop in. Many awesome things going on right now. One, we're giving away some really great POAP NFTs to our most engaged participants. Earned one by reaching level six and another by reaching level 20 by February 28th. And every Tuesday, we've got trivia night at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Nerd out with your fellow NFT fans. Don't worry, trivia is general knowledge to accommodate participants of all levels. Uh, we're giving away prizes each week. Last week, we gave away over 100 bucks worth of ETH. Go to edgeofnft.com slash discord to get involved. Of course, when you are there, there's all sorts of other perks. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info on all of our projects, including NFTLA, Living Tree NFTs, Spirit Seed NFTs, and the podcast, and other little-known but really cool stuff. On top of all that, meet some other great community members and pass around the latest NFT intel edgeofnft.com slash discord. Word on the street is we got a couple of hot topics to cover as well. Ethan's yeah. got the line on those, eh? Let's chat about it. So first one, OpenSea Probe's NFT phishing attack, co-founder says, 
The NFT marketplace is investigating a phishing attack, which doesn't appear to be active. Devin Finzer said, we don't believe it's connected to the OpenSea website. He's also the chief executive officer. I mean, he did say that on Twitter. He said, it appears there's 32 users thus far that have signed a malicious payload from an attacker and some of their NFTs were stolen. Okay, so there was some sort of phishing attack, but it seems like it's over now. I mean, I think definitely scary. I mean, definitely those rumors spreading around, you're going to lose your NFTs. It's always awkward. It definitely has been situations like this a few times where, and I have friends, like you have some sort of token or some NFT or whatever, and this rumor is circulating that says you got to change the contract somehow, and people end up losing tokens or losing things that they've already invested in. There's sort of like a connection of these two things. There's OpenSea saying there's a contract switch going on and then some phishing attacks going along with that. Yeah, I mean, clearly there was a calculated move here around this big migration event, which is anytime you're dealing with a migration, that's a lot. And especially with the scale of activity and user, the number of users on OpenSea, it certainly compounds the risk level and the appetite of potential nefarious actors. And this is one of those situations that it's not great for the ecosystem. I hope that OpenSea is able to sort of efforts like this in the future learns from this experience. My sense is they're going to do their best to take care of folks that were impacted by it. But it's a very complex situation. And I'm sure, Michael, you can appreciate the, the puts and takes there. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, well, the great power, but also the great responsibility of blockchain technology is that you really control your own funds. You control your own digital assets. You control your own like NFTs. It's not like a third party that controls it. Like, for example, when you deposit money into a bank. That being said, it does mean that there's a lot more responsibility that you have to take as well. And in this case, with phishing attacks and there were other like attacks where people get you to sign like malicious approvals, where unbeknownst to you, you know, you need an approval for them to take assets out of your wallet without you knowing it. You just have to be really, really careful what you sign. Say, for example, like on, on MetaMask, I would say to like all the viewers out there, first of all, make sure that you're on the legitimate site. So make sure you bookmark it, make sure that you double check it maybe with somebody else and maybe you check it against like kind of like the official Twitter to make sure you're already on it. And second of all, like before you give your approval to something, you also check to kind of like see what data you're approving, like how, like how many tokens, for example, you're approving to allow this contract to interact with your wallet on. I also suggest that you kind of remove approvals that you're not using anymore. And there's a few websites that do this. One of the really good websites that does it is DBank. So DBank is basically one of these aggregators or wallets that kind of like gives you an overview of all the digital assets you have on multiple different chains, including on Phantom. And they also have like an approvals tab on that website. And on that website, you can see um, all the smart contracts that you've given approvals for, and you can like edit those approvals or you can remove those approvals. And so I strongly suggest if you aren't really using a smart contract anymore, you've used it in the past and you're not interested in using it anymore to kind of remove those permissions because it's just good to only give permissions when you need to use a smart contract. And so for example, like after you use a smart contract, if you don't need to give it permissions anymore, if you don't need to use it for some time, you can just remove those permissions. And so as long as a smart contract doesn't have permissions to access your wallet, it can't do anything to your wallet. So that's kind of what I recommend people do as a practical measure. Yeah. I think being aware just in general, to your point, and kind of having that accountability for your own actions is a central part of it. There are not a lot of easy buttons that include fail safes within crypto yet. And yeah. so that awareness is really key. But there are tools out there, like I mentioned with DBank, that kind of make it easier over time. So 
But in the end, it is your responsibility. In the end, you do have to check it yourself. And so you just got to be really careful about what you do. Should we hit this next hot topic? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. How a NFT pivot turned a tiny mobile game company into a multi-billion dollar powerhouse. Okay. So already in this future ruled by non-fungible tokens and blockchain chain technology has been Yatsu's salvation. Okay. He's the chairman of Animoca Brands. And just over four years ago, that group was struggling. Revenues at the tiny mobile game business, which he had co-founded with David Kim, a former SoftBank partner and ex-CEO of early internet success mill.com. In January 2014, the revenues had fallen at 25% to 5.2 million. As market capitalization improbably, it was public trading on the Australian stock exchange was less than 6 million. So we talked about this a little bit before the show and during the show. We're in the um, Animoco Brands Accelerator program. I've been working with them. And Michael, you have some overlap with Animoca brands as well. How long has Animoca been on, on sort of your radar and been keeping an eye on what they're doing? I don't really like the people at Animoca brands, to be honest, but I have like friends and contacts that I think know them like pretty well. Animoca brands has always kind of been there since NFT started to take off because, you know, as you mentioned in the article, Animoca brands a few years ago wasn't doing very good. And I remember that they like were not doing good to such an extent. And I think maybe the missed out on compliance, like, requirements to stay on ASX or the Australian Securities Exchange, that they end up getting delisted. And so there are kind of these articles in the Australian press where it's like, oh, does the ASX kind of regret that they delisted Animoca brands because they're not going to want to come back, right? And so they're not going to get the sort of trading volume or that sort of like traction and attention for the ASX, which is like a, a privately run exchange in Australia that is privately run, but is still like quite heavily regulated. So they're doing really now, they're doing really well now, right? Like they've been like, one of the biggest investors in anti space, really riding the boom of, of the metaverses, of gaming and that sort of thing. And yeah, like kudos for them for being ahead of the game, to being ahead of the curve by several years, maybe a little bit too early to begin with, but they've really capitalized on it. Yeah. And it's great that they're investing in Balfasar, like Phantom is investing in the Balfasar Gaming Guild. It's great to be working alongside them. And yeah, I hope I can do more stuff with them in the future at some point. Yeah. It's interesting. I mentioned this talk that uh, I got to attend a few days ago. This sort of investment in NFTs and blockchain clearly wasn't just sort of let's throw something out there as a Hail Mary or something. It was really interesting to hear Yat specifically talk about kind of his philosophy and how he watched, you know, so the intersection of communism and capitalism growing up and watched all these centralized systems develop. And I feel like if you get a chance to listen to him and we'll see if this comes out at all at, at NFTLA, he's sort of very passionate about this topic of decentralization and the power it can have to you know, sort of bring more distributed power in a deserved way to more people, which I think is really beautiful about the Animoca brands. Yeah. And it goes to that personality trait that you'd pass on, Michael, persistence, right? They had a vision and they were getting after it. Like you said, maybe a little too early even, but stayed with it and have built one of the most influential brands and companies in the space, really. Some of the most impactful projects are coming out of relationships that they've helped to nurture over time or fund or support in other ways. So yeah, man, kudos to them. This article is just interesting. It really highlights how quickly these companies are making a difference in the space and not just with vaporware, right? Like this is real value being created, real revenue being created, real opportunity for the users of various products of theirs, whether people playing Axie Infinity or doing other things, 
it's a different kind of value creation that is a lot more stable and frankly, just more traditional that's happened over the last year or so. Real revenue, real value that you can point to, not just an idea and a multi-billion dollar valuation. Yeah, exactly. Like there's no such thing as instant success. It's not like that at all. For sure. Yeah. You always peel the layers of the onion back and you get to see the real story behind there, including yours, man. So we do appreciate you sharing it, man. This is really a lot of interesting parallels when you look at some of the most successful companies in the space. So we move on from hot topics? Yeah, I think so. I think we hit the biggies for today. So really great. Appreciate you sharing all the insights there across the board in every segment of today's conversation, Michael. Super interesting stuff for our listeners. I think we have a couple of little shout outs too for some of our fans and listeners. You want to hit that? Yeah, we mean to start this out a little bit, do a little bit of a fan listener shout out. I'll highlight a couple of people as quickly as I can, but they do deserve some kind of fun attention. First of all, Colorful Carl from the Discord. I just want to call this guy out. He's a huge fan of the podcast, recently launched his own NFT collection, creating the art of his deceased father, Teddy. It's a beautiful story, some beautiful art. Carl told his father on his deathbed, he was determined to do something powerful with his art. And he actually, after listening to our episode with Niftify, he used their technology to launch his collection. So if you're interested in Colorful Carl, go to colorfulcarl.com, find out more about what he's up to, some really cool stuff. And second, a spirit seed holder that I'm really fascinated with. She got a shout out in the newsletter also recently, if you want to check that out. Sheila Darcy, during a difficult time in her life, she found the act of sketching and freestyle drawing giving a physical form to her thoughts, emotion, and ideas was an impactful way to process what she was feeling. She's a published author, has a lot of people in her community, and she goes by Sketch Poetic. So uh, look her up on the socials, and I think you'll see some really incredible art, but also a really incredible person and someone we can celebrate as a spirit seed holder in our community. And that's for our listeners and fan shout out. Nice. Thanks for including that, man. So cool. Really love engaging with all of our fans. So on that note, Michael, where can our fans, where can our listeners go to follow you, to follow fans? And what's the best place for them to track all this amazing progress that you're making? The thing that has like the most resource out there, has a lot of links to like all about like the fandom ecosystem is our official website, which is phantom.foundation. So on that website, you can have a look at the core team, some of the core team members. You can have a look at a much bigger description about the technology, about the ecosystem. You can look on the front page at like the different sort of applications that we have on Phantom, some of the more popular ones where it comes to like DeFi, NFTs, different tooling, et cetera. And there's also a lot more technical documentation on there if you like that also links to our GitHub, links to our Twitter, Discord, Telegram, et cetera. So the place that kind of puts all that information together is the phantom.foundation website. And also please follow us on Twitter at phantomfdn. So at phantomfdn, we have quite a few followers there. That's where we put out kind of like the latest news where we tweet it out to everyone there. And Twitter is probably like our biggest social media outlet. And we like kind of like repost what we announced on Twitter, like on Telegram and Discord and other channels as well. But the number one source to go for the latest news or breaking announcements is going to be our Twitter at Phantom FDN. Nice. Cool, man. And word on the street is we're going to do a fun giveaway. So listen and watch our socials for details on that. So keep an eye. We'll do something fun here in conjunction with the crew at Phantom. So thanks for agreeing to do something good with us there, Michael. We'll share deets again soon. 
All right. Well, I think we have reached the outer limits at the edge of NFTs for today. So thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to Spotify or iTunes right now, rate us and say something awesome. Then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. And remember, we always invite you to co-create and build with us at Edge of NFT. We're unlocking a whole new way to connect and collaborate with us through our own NFT drops, Spirit Seeds, leading to Living Tree NFTs, which will light the way to our event, NFTLA, a -a one-of-a-kind, immersive, and unforgettable experience at LA Live in Los Angeles, March 28th to the 31st. Check it out at nftla.live and move quick as early tickets are moving fast. Lastly, be sure to tune in next time for more great NFT content. Thanks again for sharing this time with us today. The views and opinions expressed on the Edge of NFT podcast reflect solely those views and opinions of the show creators and its guests. We're learning as we go, just like you. Please make sure to do your own research. Our podcast is not financial advice. There are multiple strategies and not all strategies fit all people. You understand that you are using any and all information available on or through this podcast at your own risk.